Welcome, friends, to The Flower of the Cedar, a novel in episodic podcast form. We are about to start the next chapter. Come, join us. Chapter 22 Elves' Country The three who found them had been tending the long swaths of saplings, strung like a necklace about the neck of a deep lake, where two brooks leapt down the hills to feed it. The country had no mountains, but its hill rings climbed steeply all the same, and broke at their heads, with groves of flowering cedars. That evening, the three elvish women came upon Lara and Jan asleep and stood quietly looking down on them for some minutes. One of the women laughed, but soft enough not to wake them. Another knelt in the heavy moss encircling the tree roots among which they lay, and she pressed her hands with their fine, strong fingers firmly into the loam. The moss glowed as emeralds in the sun. Then she rose, and the elves left, turning again to their work among the trees. The girls did not awaken as the twilight grew. About them, boughs swayed in a wind their faces did not feel. When the stars touched the dark sky, the elves returned, In their arms they carried soft, woven fabric, pale as shadows, and the threads glinted within like moonlight on hidden spring waters. They draped it round the girls' shoulders and lifted their sleeping forms, speaking lowly to one another as they did so in a tongue that ran over sea-smoothed stones. The night deepened. They walked far into the forest, and their voices turned to song. And when Lara and Jan at length awakened, they did so to the swelling of music all around them, and the smells of a feast in the open air. They had come in the springtime. The feast with its music took place below them, hidden by the dark trees whose lithe trunks still gave a gentle luminescence. The elves had laid them in woven hammocks slung high, and when Lara first came to herself, she did so with a quick, fearful stillness, sensing the open air beneath her. Jan had not yet woken, and Lara remained where she was, unmoving, feeling rather like a fly in a web and more than a little nervous of spiders. How had she come here? The last thing she remembered had been falling asleep beneath that great tree. The likeliest chance was that they had been captured by elves, and if so, to what purpose? 
What would they want with Lara, with Jan? She thought with frustration that she did not know half enough about elves to make a good guess at these things. Were they in danger, as indeed the tightness in her bowels foreboded? When Jan woke at last, the night had grown darker still. All throughout the netting of the treetops, small glinting lights glimmered like the wings of insects, streaming sap slow to the feasting grove just beyond sight. Lara could see how they alighted against the boles of the trees surrounding it. In their light, the revelers ate, sang, laughed in the deepest of the night's obscurity. Yet here the light was very faint. When Jan began to stir, Lara could barely make out the blunted features of her face, the tilted nose, the pale eyes beneath her fringe of hair. Lara? whispered Jan. I'm here, Lara said. Here, good. Where's here? I haven't any idea. High up. I can hear elves just there. Good like... Jan breathed, twisting in her hammock to squint at the distant radiance. Do they bring us here? They must have, said Lara. Well then, said Jan. Lara stared at the vague blur that was Jan's face. Well then, what? What conclusions about their predicament could Jan possibly have come to from this scanty evidence? Are we prisoners then? Jan laughed aloud, and at the too generous noise, Lara felt terror that their captors would overhear, descending perhaps unseen from the tree's very tops. Hardly, Jan said, and most unwisely, Lara felt, rose to a sitting position and waved her arms. We're not exactly tied down, you know, she said, and they've hung us up near the ladders. She pointed. Not four feet beneath their swaying hammocks, a broad platform built against the trees had a ladder of filament dropping from its lip to the distant ground below. Lara had not attempted looking down before, and so had not seen it. There could be guards, Lara said, reluctant. Guides, perhaps, said Jan. Not guards. Elves are good people. Their wars have done... They don't set on strangers at unawares, unthreatened. She seized the edges of her hammock and swung herself upside down in a single fluid motion, dropping feet first to the wooden platform. Let's go down, she said, and made for the ladder. Lara made to speak, but Jan had already descended some way down, and Lara still feared to speak louder. At any rate, they would have to reach the forest floor again if they were to get away. If she followed Jan fast enough, she could catch her up before the foolish girl dashed off into the midst of the feasting. Lara would explain how they had really better slip away before they were noticed. Slowly, with slight catches as she maneuvered her hammock, she managed to tumble to the platform and follow Jan down. She reached the foot too late. Already two quiet shadows had parted from the nearby trees and flanked Jan, saying something she could not hear, before Lara was more than halfway down the ladder. When once she touched the earth again, their faces turned to her. Jan was beaming. We should join the feast, she said. 
The two elves beside her held out their hands, the grand sweep of servants proud of their master's hall. Lara tried to catch Jan's eye to give some indication that they should make a run for it while as yet only two of their captors knew they had woken, but Jan had already turned to go with the elves. Lara, her palms chilled with anxiety, followed. They came deeper into the illumined grove, and the voices of the revelers began to come to their ears. The light, lilting joy that the feasting elves carried on their shoulders and in their palms kindled a great impatience in Lara. She twisted beneath the weight of her distrust, her misgivings. They took all of the room and time within her, and levity could hold no place. Therefore the laughter grated, and especially in Jan, who lost little time in joining the feast. She should be flattened over day, and even if she can't spare a thought for our own safety, Lara found herself thinking, watching her friend. As the wide platters passed, and the rings of dancers wove and swelled as the seasons, and here or again a single clear voice rose in song, Lara sat, keeping herself tight and watchful, touching no food nor drink. She, at least, would keep her head. The feasting had lasted for hours yet, but Lara did not feel weary. She sat, quiet, behind the tables and among the brush at the clearing's edge. Her innards had begun slowly to unfurl, her sense of threat lessening as the night waned. The song caught at her in unexpectedly soothing ways. She soon thought she could understand something of what Jan had meant, when on the threshold of elves' country she said, This much beauty, I don't care if it's not safe. And certainly no one offered them hurt. When she had first entered the glade, elves approached her with refreshment, with speech, with invitation to join the dancing rings. But they did not press when she refused, and at last left her to the solitude of her chosen vantage point. Jan, of course, took the proffered goblets, the cakes, and the dancing. She did not do this last with a great deal of grace, or perhaps her slowness only seemed so in comparison to the elvish dancers, and yet she did not appear to feel any discomfiture, spinning merrily and laughing among the rest. Lara watched her for some time, at last growing envious of her friend's easy joy. She went to the tables and, with firm hands, poured wine and lifted it to her lips. In the east, birdsong met the sun's first rising. some time had passed since that first draught and she had felt no ill effects, 
and the light shafting in among the trees fell on Jan unharmed, though flushed and weary from dancing, Lara at last let her breath come easily. The revelers dispersed severally, and she and Jan soon found themselves together in a nearly deserted clearing. Three elves remained, the three who had first come upon them in the wood and cast them into slumber. Of these three, one approached, saying, We shall bring you before the queen this day. Jan and Lara looked at each other briefly. They felt neither hunger nor thirst more, and despite Jan's bodily weariness, they did not desire sleep. Another of the elves gave Jan a flask for the journey. Its glow suffused her, and soon the vestiges of aching had melted from her limbs. Then they fell in with the elves and began walking from the dancing glade. The girls knew it the moment they arrived. The unbroken trees began to fall away, growing ever thinner and more spread out, leaving at the last a wide green sward through which a silver road ran, extending out some miles before dipping over the horizon and out of sight. They could see what looked like rows of cultivated vines in the distance, spilling out from the road. In the air they caught a faint fragrance, and something like melody. When finally they came among the verdure, the elves with them slowed, pausing to greet others who walked among the rows. Lara watched with some curiosity one of these approach up a long aisle between the vines, putting out his hands to the strange rosy fruits they bore, but not picking them. Instead, he rolled a fruit between his palms, and its surface gave up a measure of its brilliance, its flush darkening, until at last it seemed to retreat back within the crowding leaves. As he walked to the next of the glowing fruits, and then the next, and the next, Lara saw his hands and arms blur as they brightened, an odd radiance hovering around him so that his outline became difficult to see. Jan turned to one of the elvish women with them in question, and Lara listened as the elf told Jan that these of her people were called gatherers, the ones who make and gather energy, Lyra, their only currency exchanged. Energy, the heat of fires and of the sun and of deep places in the earth and of great sails in the wind and of movement. The gatherers grew and harvested it, and to look at a gatherer with his arms full of reaped energy was like looking at the sun through rounded glass. The other gatherers increased in this brightness as they came to the end of their rows. Along these a path ran, looping back and away from the road to a filmy grove of trees that enclosed something like a great monument. The ewer, said one of their guides. For elves to carry Lyra is to feel elation, like the strong beating of a heart after spirited dancing, and so the laden gatherers often sang their piercing lays as they brought their harvest to the ewer.
She bears autumnal fruits by open streams, and crowns her glory shores with laurel fronds. In song I catch the hidden, heady gleams from that far land to which my heart belongs. The moon has risen on long water winged, and as I look, oh God, I see pale strands. Their ewer they often crafted of marble, or of a cool silver ore, and it stood at half the height of a pine full grown. Early in spring, the ewer was filled with clear water, and they had come mere days after it had been newly filled for the season. When a gatherer had full arms, he dove into the ewer and released his load. Myriads of bubbles buoyed him up in a rush, and his limbs rejoiced when he came again into the air of the world. The last notes of his song lingered on the air, and those standing near would raise a great shout in response as he appeared divested of Lyra. Draw up your oars and row me thither, lads. Thus the ewers are filled and their riches kept, said one of their guides, following the lines of gatherers with her eyes. We buy and sell with the energy gathered this way, but the manner in which we do this does not make itself understood in any of the languages of the dryads. Lara watched in silence for some time, listening to the distant singing. The images, the sounds remained with her for many winters afterward. When she grew old, she remembered what a good, good thing it had been to see the necessary business of life accompanied by such joy in its process, not merely in its aims. They slept that night, and many nights to come, in one of the maiden homes, as the queen had said they might be housed according to their wish. Their audience with her had been brief and bright, for she seemed to have little concern for any mischief they might pose to her people. Perhaps she thought them harmless children, and indeed they were when held beside the ageless elves. Certainly Jan, with open hearts, gave no pause, and Lara's silence did not unseat the queen. She laughed, welcomed them, and waved them from her before they had so much as given out their names. The young elvish women who lived in this maiden house were some half-dozen in number, most music-makers for the revels, and one training as jewel-right, the rooms opened into the woodland at surprising times, but despite having travelled north of mahogany land, where Lara would have expected lingering spring chill, this elvish country was possessed of sweet airs and mild nights. Summer hovered at the edge of all her inward meanderings. In the evening, Lara sat where the house met the woods, with her head propped on her hands, watching the shifting light and thinking. Her unease had passed. 
The maiden home had wide, curving porches and breathtaking cupolas, and its inhabitants came and went at will. She and Jan shared meals at times with the elvish women living there, but these did not always come on expectation. Often the elves gathered for song rather than eating, and the home's open thresholds rang with beauty far into the night. She could not decide whether to stay or to press on. That restlessness that had first seized on her with the coming of spring in Toman and Nisarinen's home had not left her yet, though even so she had no thought as to where she would journey, if journey she must. This land held great solace. Surely she might stay here and forget the great gesh on her, lingering beneath the wood, living with the music about her. And yet she could not lull to sleep what had woken within. But where would she find its slaking? Why not here, if anywhere? The elves wore youth on their faces and age in their hearts. Of the many ballads and lays Lara heard over the coming days, she rarely knew the ancient deeds and battles of which they spoke. She wished almost to lose herself in the sad and wondrous tales told, and at times she approached total self-forgetfulness, listening in a steady sort of rapture to the syllables falling like silver and opal in the gloom. But the songs always ended, and she always returned to herself again. One night, she woke from a dream of the Lamia, half remembered even in the moment of her waking. Its draw lay on her, though she could not recall any words or faces. She turned on her bed to see Jan sleeping across the room with an arm flung up by her head. The Lamia. Somehow she knew she would not speak to Jan of the Lamia. To be sure, there had been nothing in their talk with Dane that day on the mountains, that had given her cause to think Jan would hear Lara with horror or anger. Jan herself had already spent time visiting Alamia's wilder with her mother, and there was no reason to think the Lamia a taboo subject, even as forbidden company should Lara propose travelling to them. Yet she did. She felt a deep refusal to show Jan this sleeping hunger in her for the promise of guttings. For she knew, immediately, staring at the latticework and stars above her in the deep night, that that was what it was. She wanted to find her hearts, yes, but she would not give them to the god. His upright servant slept beside her, gutted, and sent north, while her lover went gutted and barren south. Nisarinen lay miles behind her, gutted and unanswered. 
Nena, somewhere, amid the wailing of children not her own, lived gutted and wasted. Toron and Danai, with their warm kindness, driven into isolation, gutted by the world's wounding, healers to all, yet denied healing themselves. And she, Lara, she had been gutted from birth, had she not? What else did this god offer but gutting? When it came to it, why crawl to him? Was it not time she, at last, learned to gut? The Flower of the Cedar is written, produced, and published by me, Kay Benavraham. This content is made possible by the support of my patrons on Patreon. We make monthly pledges they can increase, decrease, or cancel at any time. If you are enjoying listening, please consider supporting my work on Patreon. Even a dollar a month makes a great difference to a struggling author. For those of you wishing to support this work in non-monetary fashion, you can tell a friend about the podcast or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help ratings rise so that other people can find it. Thank you so much.